0: Hello and welcome to Hawk Nation, Hawkeye Nation, that is. This is Hawkcast, your Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting podcast brought to you by GoIowaAwesome and Rivals.com. I'm your recruiting analyst and host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter, joined by publisher Adam Jacoby and managing editor Ross Binder here on this recap. Iowa with the 20 to 13 win over Cross State in-state rival in-state not cross-state in-state rival uh iowa state this evening taking home the cyhawk trophy with their sixth straight win in ames and uh feeling pretty good about it if you uh, are able to watch our post game pressers available on my youtube channel as well as a little bit on t or on uh, my twitter page and uh struggling to start the podcast this evening anyway took the win Adam, you and I are there, or were there, just general general initial takeaways from the victory tonight for Iowa.
1: It was pretty obvious that this was a win that meant a whole lot to these guys. They downplayed it during the week for obvious reasons, for bulletin board reasons. But seeing the looks on these guys' face, obviously the aspect of Kirk, Winning his 200th game meant a whole lot to these guys. But even if it were win number 136, the fact that they got to get this win, Cade McNamara got to experience this type of rivalry. Joe Evans had that ability to finish his career, you know, as an Ames native to finish his career with a win at Iowa State. You can tell, you can just tell how much – the moment mattered to these guys. It, it, it came across after the game, it came across while we were watching them. You know, there was just a little bit of extra celebration, a, a little bit of extra juice into everything that they were doing. And, you know, if that is the manifestation of everything that has motivated them throughout the week, and this is how it all comes out, I would say that's a very, very satisfying win for everybody on this team and something that they're probably going to look back on fondly once the season, or at the very least, the regular season is over. Ross, how about you, sir?
2: Yeah, I mean, you guys had the the Ames perspective on the game, so you could see, you know, what they, especially the postgame, their reactions and everything. But, you know, I was watching it on TV, and... I just felt like watching the game and seeing the way the guys were playing, um, especially I thought some of the in-state guys like Joe Evans, Cooper DeGene, uh, Ethan Herkett you know, huge tackle at the end of the game there. Like there was just an extra, extra oomph in what they were doing today. And they just, they really wanted this one. Um, you know, I think losing last year in Iowa City and that debacle of a, you know, 10-7 slog, no, that didn't sit well with anybody. Uh, so I think they wanted to avenge that, uh, and then Kirk's 200th win—I'm sure was a little bit of incentive. But you know, I just think they just don't like losing to Iowa State, so they did not want to have that happen again. And especially for a guy like Joe Evans, you know, he's been here six years. He's been a part of a lot of wins over Iowa State, but it would probably, you know, it would sting a little if his last game against them ended up being a loss. So, you know, he really seemed determined not to let that happen. And I mean, Cooper was just flying around today. So.
0: One player before we get to Cooper that I thought really brought some extra move today. Uh, and I think you guys will agree with me, jazz Patterson, first of all, the 59 yard scamper, if you will, in the first quarter and secondarily just the the short runs and the pop that he brings we've talked a little bit about jazz patterson on the pod we've got some articles about him we i think i i may have hit on him briefly in in a caleb johnson piece after media day but we finally saw it come to fruition yeah 59 yards is a good chunk of what he put forth today out of his 86, uh, 10 attempts. He, I, th- I think, yeah, Caleb Johnson still got a majority of the carries with 15. I think he only had 28 yards though. So jazz Patterson really, he, I think down the stretch kind of became the bell cow a little bit for the Iowa offense today as well, running the ball. And that's a big highlight for this team going forward. I, I mean, based on what we saw today in terms of production, you could see him being that number two back instead of LaShawn Williams, especially if you're going to be putting it on the ground quite a bit. I think LaShawn Williams is a little bit more effective in the open field, i.e. you know, hitting him in the flat on, on, a, passing, on a passing play. But Jazz was, was really, really solid this, during this game, and I, I think that's a, a serious indication as to who he is as a player. And it's it got to be exciting. For, for Iowa fans to see some of that work and, and some of that potential that we've seen flash really pop today.
2: Yeah, I, I agree, Elliot. Um I thought Jazz was looking really I, I, I the violence he was running with today was what really stood out to me. Um, he was just hitting the hole, uh just really you know smashing and in, smashing into guys. And he was very decisive when he got the ball. There was no Thinking there was no dancing, there was hit ball, you know, and run hit the hole, run hit somebody, run, and um, I think that's what you want to see. That's what this offense needs at the running back position. It doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't need anyone who's dancing behind the line. That's not going to work. Um, and what he was doing was uh, was very effective today. I mean, like you said, the 59-yard run you know, that. Was a lot of his overall production, but he had other good runs as well. There were some runs in the fourth quarter where, uh, where they were using him, and Hayden Large was blocking for him, and they were eating up, uh, you know, four, five, six yards a, a pop there for a short while. And of course, he had the offensive touchdown, which yeah, was a nice, nicely blocked uh, play too that he you know, executed well. Through the whole into the end zone. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. You know. It, It does feel like Iowa is rotating running backs a lot. You know, there's, you get a few plays with uh, Caleb and then Jazz comes in or you get LaShawn. And, you know, I, I, what do you think about that, uh, Adam? Do you think they need to stick with the running back a little bit more consistently or is this the way it's going to be all year?
1: I think you're right. And I'll also point out that the sort of winning plays that Patterson was making weren't just about, carrying the ball, Elliot, you mentioned to Patterson after the game, there was one play where McNamara was, was facing a little bit of pressure, a little bit of trouble. ISU had two guys free and Patterson found a way to block both of them by, by essentially throwing his body at them on pass pro without it turning into a tripping penalty. Right. Because there's, there's a way to really mess that up too. Found a way to not do that, found a way to, to get two guys off their feet, and it ended up facilitating a, a big first down completion for the Iowa offense. So his ability to make those plays even when he doesn't have the ball in his hand, I think is going to go a pretty long way in terms of solidifying or or even shortening that rotation at running back if they think that you know it's it's better served as Caleb Johnson and Jazz Patterson, and you know, find different ways to use LaShawn, different whether it's a different role, different situations, or, or very specific situations. But, like I said in the thread during the game, if he keeps making plays like that, it is really, really hard to make a case to keep him off the field. And that was. Early in the game, too. And he didn't do anything to sort of play his way off over the course of that game. And for somebody that young in a position that's that competitive, boy, that really opened my eyes in a way that I was not expecting when that game kicked off.
0: Yeah. The uh, double block, he did it on purpose. Breaking news. If you, I, and we got that quote directly from him. You can check it out on, on my Twitter page, at Elliot Clough. I quoted that um, that video that was going all over Twitter, and he said verbatim, yeah, I did that on purpose. And I, I just genuinely thought it was, a oh, crap, missing my guy. I fall over other dude trips. But, no, he 100% did that on purpose. And before we move on to another point from the game, Ross, one thing you said is that this offense – needs a running back that will just hit the hole. And that is something that I said to Adam during the game about Caleb Johnson. I would love to see him have a little bit more of that aggression that Jazz Patterson has in the run game because Caleb has the breakaway speed for sure, the playmaking ability. If he just hits the hole like this offense is designed for running backs, if he hits the hole, he makes so many more plays. I don't know if this is like him in his head trying to make more plays, viewing himself as this star running back that he is and is not doing the simple things, but this is something that, that I've seen. And like I said, I did point out to Adam during the game um, and would like to see more from him. And I think we'll make him more productive now on to a little bit more from Uh, this win for the Hawkeyes 20 to 13 over the Cyclones. Another big play, another big player today, Sebastian Castro. He had that pick six, I believe it was in the second quarter. And what he said post game was that it appeared like it was in slow motion to him. And I can tell you why (laughs) is because he was on the opposite side of the field. Rocco Beck had to throw across his body to the far side and Sebastian essentially could walk forward, catch the ball, or run into the end zone. That one made it seventeen to zero. I think at that point, yeah, seventeen to zero. Um, and Brian's twenty-five points per game at that point in time was looking pretty good. We'll talk more about the second half in a second. But Sebastian, that was a really big play at a really big time. That ultimately ended up being the separation for for the victory in this one.
1: Yeah, I thought it was a real turning point of the game, especially because it came so quickly after that interception that Iowa State uh, got on uh, McNamara. And it was a little bit of a ball-don't-lie situation, and it's easy for us to say that, but Cade McNamara said that himself in the post-game conference. And, you know, it was good defense. And I'm saying that with all the Matt Foley air quotes, because it, it, at best, it was a 50-50 call or non-call on pass interference. And credit to the Iowa defense for instead of saying, ah, well, things aren't going our way, blah, 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 turning that into an opportunity to get that score on the board themselves. And yeah, it sure looked like an easy interception and, and touchdown the other way. I, I would say the easiest part was that absolutely after the ball was in Castro's hands. But I thought it was a little bit interesting that Farron said after the game that Castro last season probably doesn't make that play. And that might just be a matter of him having that recognition to get in that position to begin with. It might be the fact that he was making that read for Iowa State, you know, switching formations and and therefore switching the read that he had to work off of. We're going to try to find out a little bit more about that. We, we asked a little bit and got a little bit of answers in, in terms of uh, what Castro was saying and what he was working on in the postgame. I really, I and, and this is just me being a little bit of a nerd, but I really, really want to press in on that play in particular and and learn not only you know, what precisely Castro was keying on and all that. But, you know, why wouldn't he have made that play? Because to us unwashed savages watching the game, it, it looked like one of the easiest touchdowns of Castro's life. So there's more to it than that, obviously. And I'm, I'm curious to hear more. Ross, what did you think of that play? And, and what it meant to the game, especially.
2: Well, I mean, as far as the game, I think that felt, I mean, I don't, you don't want to say that a 17 point lead is insurmountable, especially in the second quarter, but with Iowa's defense, it kind of is, you know, especially with the way the Iowa state offense was looking, which was, did not really look like they were likely to score, uh, you know, over 17 points in that game. So you know, when Iowa goes up 17 nothing, you feel really good about that game uh, and Iowa's odds of getting the win and, you know, getting out of there with the Cy-Hawk. Um, As far as the play, you know, I, I would certainly like to hear, you know, more about what exactly Caster was reading. Um, you know, it, I wonder if it was just a matter of he's done a lot more film studies since last year. He's a lot more comfortable in the position, the cash position, uh, just, you know, a lot just a lot better at reading the game. Uh, it would be interesting if you saw something in film study about, you know, back that he was able to apply to that particular play. Um, but, yeah, it was a just – I thought a great play. You know, he read it perfectly. You know, he, he got the ball. And once he got the ball, it was, you know, easy street from there. He just had to walk into the end zone basically.
0: After talking about defense here, two names that have already been brought up that, that you referenced, Ross – Cooper DeGene, Joe Evans. Joe Evans lived in the backfield today, and he popped Rocco Beck every every single time he got the opportunity. There were, I don't think, any roughing the passer calls. I, I can almost guarantee that there weren't any, so they were letting him play. Cooper, you can very clearly tell that he watched the film going into this one because he was reading plays like a book. And last week we didn't see much of Cooper. I think it was largely because the Utah State just Utah State just did they just didn't go to that side of the field, which fair enough, I wouldn't either. but Cooper was moving around a little bit more this time. he had a little bit more freedom to work defensively and I, I he, just appear and like it's not like he didn't look confident last week. I mean, the dude is AP preseason All-American. It just looked like he hit a different gear to a degree in the way he was playing. And he hit that flow state where you're just in it, you're you're making plays, and there's nothing anybody can do about it.
1: Yeah, I thought this was a very, very strong performance for Dejean, and the, the numbers bear it out. Led the team in tackles, 10 tackles, which he doesn't do that very often, especially when quarterbacks are trying to make an effort not to throw at him. But, you know, six of those are solo tackles. And, and we saw him generate those hits, those stops, based on those pre-snap looks. Like you said, flying around the field, making plays because he had done that preparation to begin with. Also, half of a tackle for loss with Kyler Fisher, uh, credited with one of Iowa's seven pass breakups, which, wow. You know, for a guy who also sort of stakes his reputation as a returner as well as a defensive back, he's been a little bit quiet as a returner so far, but he has been lights out at cornerback. And it's a little nice reminder that, The returner gets to score points. The defensive back, you know, he had three pick sixes last year. Probably not going to have that many opportunities. He's probably... We'll we'll, we'll say this. If he gets three pick sixes again this year, start building the statue, right? Like that is... (laughs) There's a whole lot that, that has to go into that that is sort of out of his control. So... And, and likewise, being a punt returner, being a kick returner, one, I was just got so many options at kick returner, but two, teams know better than to give him very returnable balls if they have any uh, say in the matter. So those flashy stats might fall off, but if he keeps performing at this level, which includes that preparation, that athleticism, that recognition of what the other team's trying to do, oh my goodness. we. I, all-American's a good start <laughs> as far as recognition goes. Yeah, that, that was a super impressive performance by him. And leading the team in tackles, he will get some recognition for it, even if he only had two or three tackles. I would say that was a lights-out game. Uh, Russ, did that come through on TV too?
2: 100%. 100%. Yeah, I mean, Cooper was – a real standout. I mean, like he was just flying around always at the ball. You know, the thing that stood out to me, you mentioned that he led the team with 10 tackles. You know, I think in a lot of circumstances, your defensive back cornerback leading the team and tackles, maybe not a good thing. You know, if they're getting all those tackles, 10, 15 yards down the field, that's not good. You know, the offense is having a lot of success and he's just, you know, mopping up, but, you know, thinking about Cooper's tackles today, how many of them were, at or right pretty close to the line of scrimmage, you know, or, you know, getting guys immediately after they caught the ball. Like I, there were not many cases where a guy made eight, 10, 12 yards, and then Cooper, you know, got the tackle. There were so many where he was getting him just immediately uh, right when they got the ball. And then, uh, you know, often right at the line of scrimmage as well.
1: Yeah. he He was very rarely running the wrong direction. We'll put it that way.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: And on top of all that probably should have had an interception. Shout out to Xavier Wampa. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The way he explained it after the game was he left this guy X was doing the right thing and they just happened to run it into each other. So just a, a a discombobulated play um, there for him and, and X on, on the defensive side of things. One Additional encouraging thing for Iowa fans. I I mentioned Jazz Patterson having a great game. Run blocking was better as well. And a third point to that is Iowa definitely left points on the board again. Now, that can be encouraging or discouraging depending on how you frame it. You don't want it to become a habit, but there are throws that Cade – Probably makes more often than not that he just missed today. He underthrew Deontay Vines on a go goal, goal route. He overthrew Seth Anderson on, a, I think it was a go route as well. And there was that one play in the end zone where Iowa walked away with a field goal, but two receivers ran into each other. Not only did they run into each other, but he had Hayden Large for the easy first down with two to go. And who knows if they score after that as well. So points left on the board by the offense. Does it become a theme? Well, hopefully not for, for them and their production and, and for Brian Ference's mental health. But I, this is two straight games where they probably could have had 30-plus points if they just capitalized when these opportunities are presented to them.
1: Yeah, and and as as the coaches see it, that is more encouraging than last year or the year prior where it was pretty clear that there was personnel on the offense that just was not going to be able to get them in positions to, to succeed. You know, they start week one with one scholarship receiver, healthy. That's a situation where, you know, you can call whatever play you want, but it's, it's sort of like, good luck this year. They're close and you still want them executing at you you still want them actually successfully executing the plays and for them to be close and miss on those opportunities. It, well, we'll, we'll say it. It's easier for the coaches to stomach that when I was two and than if they're one and one or even worse than that. So a lot of coachable opportunities. And, and we sort of heard that from Ferentz after the game but it was it was pretty obvious where those opportunities are going to be and it also sort of seems like the team is capable of turning those opportunities into points or first downs or what have you you know they don't look inept the they they don't look like they're not all on the same page per se although that doesn't that aspect doesn't look perfect but it also doesn't look like last season so you see how it can be encouraging even while was only scoring 20 points and, and this game ends up being a seven-point game when really Iowa was out competing Iowa State really pretty substantially for the last, we'll say, 55 minutes of the game and was up by 17 points and had earned their way up by 17 points. So when... Ferentz says that this team is close when McNamara says that, you know, they're close, but they both acknowledge that there's plays or there's points sort of being left out uh, on the field. That's, that's what they mean. And it makes sense. And it's sort of up to them, whether that's the coaches, the players, the, the ones who are trying to execute, whether that, like you said, turns into a theme or if it turns into a, get those mistakes out of the way in early September, then by October and November, you're really running out of gear that you didn't have in the non-conference schedule. This could go either one of those ways. And, and we've seen Iowa teams go either one of those ways in the past and, and not even in the distant past too. So a little bit of a precipice point here, and it's really going to be up to the coaches to get those guys in position to succeed. And then it's up to the players to succeed, Right.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I thought there were definitely some, you know, makeable plays there that weren't made. You know, ultimately the offense is going to be judged on the plays that it actually makes. And in this case, they're just, there were enough, but you know, it was closer than we'd want it to be. I think the other thing that stood out to me from this game, you know, yes, there were a few play big plays that they missed on that could have, you know, really made things a lot more comfortable in the fourth quarter, helped Cade stats, uh, helped Brian's, contract stats um, but the other thing that popped out to me was I think there were five or six uh, three and outs in the game after the most of them after the for all of them after the first quarter and you know that I think is still an area of concern um, you, know, you want to see a little bit more consistency from the offense uh, you know Elliot mentioned the improved run blocking absolutely there were some really well Locked plays in the run game in this game. There were also some that didn't work and, you know, you're going to have some that don't work, but, you know, there were some just negative yardage plays, you know, short yardage plays and, you know, they need to really keep working on that and really limit those. If they can do that, maybe those three and outs go away and they're able to string together some longer drives without that. It feels like they're, you know, awfully dependent on those big plays hitting. And I don't know if that, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing for the Iowa offense this year. What do you guys think?
0: Well, um, to quote myself from the show notes, the offense still can't do jack squat after the first half. And what what do we attribute that to? Is it Brian scripting things well in these first few possessions, and then he just <laughs> winging it like like what's what's going on here is it i mean I, I i mean that's that's really the only thing i can think of is these scripted plays are based off film you're good to go you're taking advantage of the defense and then the defense gets a good look at you after halftime and you can't expose those same things as as you did in the first half i mean especially against a defensive coordinator like tom haycock Who's who's one of the arguably one of the best, if not definitely one of the best in in the country. And so, is it solely based on the fact that you can't adjust in game? I think that's going to bear itself out more as we go forward. But that's what it looks like in these in these first two games against Utah State, and then of course against Iowa State today.
2: Well, you know, I I think you're on to something. But I will say in that third quarter. You know, the one good drive they had, you know, ended with the field goal, could have been seven if, uh, you know, the guys don't run into each other in the end zone probably. But that that drive was one they, you know, they actually moved down the field. I think it was an 11-play, 69-yard drive. And what stood out to me in that drive, especially looking back at it when I was writing up the recap and everything, was that Iowa mixed tendencies in that drive. So they ran the ball on first down twice. They passed it twice on first down they used that five uh five wide empty backfield look on four plays which were all four completed passes by Cade you no know, uh, on top of that so like when they actually didn't stick to some of the very familiar and predictable uh play calling and and formations I think the offense actually you know showed some sparks of life that we I didn't see otherwise, so I'm interested to see do they try to build on that. I don't know, but uh, what did you, what did you notice, Adam?
1: Yeah, I've, I noticed the exact same thing, Ross. The especially when the offense would bog down, there were even people in the press box saying, "Oh, here's the second and ten run." You know, here it it was, and obviously, it's one thing to say, "Oh, here comes a run," it's another thing to say, "Oh, the, you know they're probably going to go." you know, C gap and et cetera. So like, it, it, it wasn't that level of predicting what I was going to do, but the larger macro tendencies of, well, if, if it's second and 10, then here's where we run were, this is, this has also been its own sort of theme. And when the play calling is to some extent predictable it sort of takes a little bit of wind out of the sails of the, well, you just got to go out there and execute. A little harder to execute when the defense has a pretty good sense of what's coming and all of a sudden you're trying to run into a nine-man box. You're you're trying to, you know, if, if nobody's going to be caught off guard by a draw play, why are you running a draw play, right? it <laughs> Because structurally schematically, though you know, it, it's it depends on a defense thinking the handoff isn't coming. So in terms of diversifying what that play calling looks like, absolutely, Ross, I fully agree that that needs to be a large, large component of where Iowa goes from here. But it's also sort of against, that Ferentz mindset of, you know, dance with who you. and look, 200 wins. You, there's only so much complaining we can do about that. So he he's got his way. It's, it's worked 200 times, but yeah, I, I absolutely 100% agree that when that defense is on its heels, when it is forced to react instead of sort of dictating, the way or, or understanding the way that the circumstances dictate Iowa's play calls completely different dynamic. And all of a sudden that Iowa offense looks to magically unstick itself. And, and really it's just a matter of going where the defense ain't.
0: Now on that note, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think a wide receiver had a catch in the first half.
1: in the first half no and yeah one that's a problem two i think the only target a wide receiver had in the first half was the throw to caleb brown that got swatted at the line by the defensive end linebacker whoever that was like that's it and look say what you will about iowa's tight end room which is clearly a, a favorite and a strength uh for the team but there does need to be some diversifying of that aspect of the attack. And to their credit, they you know, took more of those shots in the second half, but woof.
0: Man, throw a screen pass to Caleb Brown. Get the ball on his hands. He doesn't have a catch yet. Two games in. Yeah. He's a playmaker. You want to get your playmakers the ball. Yeah. Throw a screen pass to Seth Anderson, for all I care, to LaShawn Williams. I don't think I've seen a screen pass yet other than to that delayed under that we saw, it was a fake. It was that fake uh, end around or the sweep to Weechin, and then he dumped yep. it under to Eric All, which faked us out. But it was a, oh, like yeah. a three-yard gain. It was a three-yard gain. So what does that? What does that a do? Five five-yard five gain.
1: Come on, let's let's. see. doo. La.
2: Was that um, was that the five-yard gain where all like carried guys like for four of the yards too? I think so. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Bingo. <laughs> so I, I, I think you got you to gotta scheme a way to get the, the ball in the receiver's hands. Deontay Vines, I think, had his first catch today of the season. Didn't have a catch in that first game. And, I mean, credit where credit's due. There are just a couple plays where Cade missed throws. So I, I think it's there at least to a degree schematically, but design something do something for Caleb Brown here. You brought him in for a reason. Get him the ball.
2: Yeah. He's young yeah. though. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think, you know, you just can't run like, you know, two plays on offense for Caleb Brown or whatever. Like you need a little bit more than that. I know I was not going to have the wide open offense. That's not going to happen. But you know, if, you, if Caleb's got like two shots to make an impact in a game, that's pretty tough.
0: That's a, and that's a player just based on history of personality for wide receivers, where you can see him getting a little frustrated as the season goes on. Now, I don't know Caleb, I don't think any of us really know Caleb well enough, but I, I think he'd be justified in that. I don't I don't have any sources on that or whatever, but I, I think he'd be justified in having a bit of frustration uh, from a lack of production. So it is late here on Saturday evening, so we will wrap it up. A uh, long day for Adam and I. We've been going at it for a little over 12 hours, and Ross doing a bunch of great stuff for us uh, on the site and, and on socials throughout the day as well. Go give us a follow on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Go Iowa Awesome on all of those platforms. Iowa Awesome on Twitter and Inst- no, Instagram's go at goiowaawesome. But give us a follow as well at Adam underscore Jacoby. At Ross WB on Twitter. I am Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on Twitter. Don't forget as well, subscribe wherever you are listening to the podcast, whether that be YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. Leave that rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps us out a lot, gets the podcast a little bit more exposure. Leave a question there with a five-star review if you would. That all makes us very happy. That makes sure you don't miss an episode as well. If you're not a premium subscriber on iowa.rivals.com, you can do that at iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. Get great premium content from us, all the recruiting, basketball, and football info. Not quite basketball yet, but we're getting there. So once again, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. And for now, we'll see you next time.